in front of you. And it's when you're done filling it out at the end of the service, you could take it to the Welcome Center, which you passed on your way in, and turn it in for a little gift. And it, there's really nice people there that you could talk to. And if you're at home, all you have to do is scan the QR code. And it helps us to connect with you, know who you are, um, you know what is going on in the church. Next Sunday, we are having our annual church picnic. There'll be lots of food and lots of fun. It's for the whole family and for any guests that you want to invite. If you are bringing a dish to share, they'll have tables set up next Sunday at the cafe. And the cafe is right out these doors to the right. It has uh, high top, some high top tables. You can't miss it. You can just put your food there when you come in. Please bring any friends or neighbors that you would like to. We have a young adult ministry, and that small group is meeting after the service today in the cafe. Lunch is provided, and it's always very delicious. There's also going to be a young adult campfire hangout this Saturday, which is the 10th, at 7 at the Ryers house. If you need any more information on that or directions, you can just stop by at the cafe and talk to Ben Murphy. He is the young adult small group leader after the service, and he's a really nice guy. At this time, Joe Ryer is going to come up to speak. For those of you that don't know, Ben is one of Mary's sons. He is a really nice guy, too. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Joe. If I haven't met you yet, um, it's nice to meet you. Hopefully, I get to talk to you after church today. And if you're in the young adult category, hopefully, you can come to our house next Saturday at 7 p.m. and meet Snickers and Hershey, our two dogs that seem to live forever, which we're generally thankful about. <laughs> Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians. Lord, thank you for a new day with new mercies. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this unique book that we're going to dive into over the next few months. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us. You would show us the, just the depth of the riches that we have in our relationship with you, Jesus, and we uh, pray we would be different as we encounter you through your word this morning. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, today is the first day of a few months of going through the book of Ephesians, and the, the title of this series and the title of the sermon is Encountering Transforming Grace. And so we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. But just to get our, our minds around, I want to read a quote from the Dictionary of Paul and his letters, which I'm going to guess you didn't read this morning, just to get uh, your mind around the kind of the themes and contours of the book of Ephesians. And then I'm going to give you some background info, and then we'll jump, uh, jump into the actual passage this morning. So from the Dictionary of Paul and his letters, the letter to the Ephesians is unique among the letters attributed to Paul. Its language of worship and prayer, the depth and scope of its theology, 
and the many practical admonitions have led many Christians, including John Calvin, to cherish it as their favorite New Testament book. The letter's emphasis on the nature of the church and the present dynamic relationship of the exalted Christ to the church makes it an important and practical book for the church today. So it is a it's one of 66 books of the Bible. It's, it's unique in the way it, it will take you to these soaring heights of who God is and what he has done and how his plan unfolds and then to very practical living. And so you'll, we'll see that as we go through this series. Um, the Apostle Paul will emphasize the, the strong, deep theology at the, the first few chapters, and then he will transition to very practical um, daily life. So school has just started for many of you, whether that's elementary, high school, college, um, maybe some of you are working on master's degrees, but but with all those, you have homework. Now, I know a number of you are homeschooled, but that's all homework, right? Because you're you're doing work at home. Well, I'm going to give you some more homework because as um, your pastors, we want you to get the most out of these series. We want you to come away knowing more about Jesus and his love for you. And, and one way to do that is to do homework. So here's your homework assignment for the next few months, okay? If you agree, just remain seated. Thank you. So, um, very simple. Once a week, once a week, read through the entire book of Ephesians in one sitting. So a lot of you, when you read the Bible, you're used to reading small chunks and thinking about it. Um, there is benef- there's great benefit to doing that. There's also great benefit to just reading um, a book of the Bible, particularly a letter like Ephesians, in one sitting and just kind of getting the big picture and the flow of the letter. It takes an average reader, according to the internet, uh, 20 minutes to read the, the book of Ephesians. So once a week, do that. And then if, if you're able, read Acts chapter 19 and 20, because in Acts chapter 19 and 20, you will learn about some of the details of the Apostle Paul's relationship with the Christians in Ephesus who were the original recipients of this letter. So two things, read through Ephesians once a week and read Acts 19 and 20. So anytime we start a new book of the Bible, we want you to have some basic uh, foothold so you you get your mind around some of the, the general details of the book. So let me just give you some rapid fire information. The author of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul. The genre is, it's a letter, it's an epistle. Uh, The themes, there's a number of themes, but some of the the major ones are the greatness of God, the exalted Christ that Jesus died and rose is now exalted at the Father's right hand. The church, some of the the most famous metaphors for the church uh, are found in the book of Ephesians. And the the grace of God is a major, major theme in the book of Ephesians. We're going to see that this morning, particularly how that grace is intended to change us and transform us and make us different and help us to experience more and more freedom. Now, one of the things that's um, a bit unique about this letter, as opposed to some of the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, is he, he's not addressing a lot of particulars that were unique to the church in Ephesus. So like when he wrote First and Second Corinthians, he's writing to very specific situations and addressing very specific concerns. Um, 
In Ephesus, not so much. He's hitting these big, broad theological ideas. And um, some of his other letters, he emphasizes things like justification by faith alone. In Ephesians, he's primarily drawing our attention to our salvation, what we have in Christ. And we're going to see some of the differences. Many scholars believe that this letter was used and circulated uh, throughout the region when the Apostle Paul wrote it. So it wasn't just intended for uh, those in Ephesus, but to be a circular letter that, that would make its rounds around and among the churches. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter from prison, either in prison in Ephesus, which he was imprisoned several times, or in Rome. There's some debate about that, but he was definitely in prison when he wrote this letter. And he most likely wrote it around 60 to 62 A.D. If you're familiar with the, the book of Colossians, uh, there's very similar themes between the two letters. Uh, many believe that when he wrote Ephesians, he also wrote Colossians from the same uh, prison cell. The passage we're going to look at tonight, this, today, this is kind of a fun fact. Um, verse 3 through 14 in the original Greek language is one sentence. It's 201 words long. So it's this massive sentence that the, the Apostle Paul's heart just kind of explodes and he just writes and writes and writes and writes. And that's what we're going to see today. So there's some background. So you got background information. You got some homework. Um, and I am so excited about this letter because of the effect it has had in my own personal life, because of the effect it's had in many, many, many Christians throughout um, our generation and throughout church history. So let's jump into Ephesians, look at verse 1 and follow. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who were in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was going to start this massive one giant sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a lot here in these first 14 verses. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of just erupts. His heart just sort of explodes and he just starts writing and writing. And when he's writing, you'll notice that he uses a lot of we in, in this, this section. He, he's, in, he's including himself. So he's not like standing off and writing about this thing that is true and amazing and glorious. No, he's writing from personal experience of this grace of God. And if you were paying attention, as he's writing, he, he started in the past, then he got to the present, and then he got to the future. And so all three are happening in this beginning of his letter. And my prayer for this series, and especially for this morning, is for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, the magnitude and the reality of that, how great that is, how glorious it is, how lavish God's grace has been towards you would hit you. It would, it would hit you in a way that you woke up this morning, you were not, you're not feeling the depth of God's love for you, the depth of God's purposes for you in your life. So we're going to walk through this, and that is one of the hopes intended effects of this passage. First points, just two points this morning. We are the recipients of God's unfathomable grace. We are the recipients. So those who have trusted in Jesus, you you have received God's unimaginable, unfathomable grace that you just, it's so incredible that at times it's just hard to get our minds around. So let's start with Paul's introduction in verses 1 and 2. It's a very typical introduction from Paul but it's also filled with truth. Paul, an apostle, a sent one of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints, all believers in Jesus are saints. They are set apart. You are set apart for God's purposes. The moment you called out to Jesus, you became a saint. In the New Testament, it's not like a hall of fame for Christians. It's just a position for all who have trusted in Jesus. So to the saints who are in Ephesus, Ephesus was a city of about 250,000 people uh, ruled by Rome. It's a Roman city. Uh, At the time the Apostle Paul was writing, it was a prosperous city. It had a lot going on. It had a lot of false god worship. So it was a vibrant place. And the Apostle Paul um, ended up in prison because of preaching. And he preached so effectively at times that the people that made these little idols thought they were going to lose their business. So so they they started a riot and he ends up in jail. So it was a lively place to the saints who are in Ephesus. So Paul's picturing people as he writes that. And are faithful in Christ Jesus. There was a strong gospel witness in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. That's that's a typical greeting from the Apostle Paul, but that typical greeting has incredible hope for us, incredible truth for us. 
grace to you, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor to you from God himself. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are included in that greeting. Grace to you. You have been the recipient of this incredible grace. One of the challenges of a passage like this and preparing for a passage like this is you just run out of adjectives. Keep saying the the same words over and over again because I want us to get how incredible this reality is for us who are in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, put your name there, and peace from God. By nature, we were all born with a sinful nature, Consequently, we rebel against God. So we, by nature, spiritually are at war with God. And then the war ends the moment we trust in Jesus, the moment we become saints, the moment we are brought into God's family, we now have peace with God. So think about your present life circumstances, no matter what they are right now. If you are in Jesus, grace to you and peace from God. God doesn't say our creator, which would be true, our Father. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Tonight when you go to bed, think about that. Think, I am under the grace of God, the favor of God. He is my Father. He is tenderly, lovingly, powerfully watching over each of his children. And as we're going to see this morning, it all centers around the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the one who makes all these realities possible. So now the Apostle Paul, after he greets those in Ephesus, he's going to take a deep breath. Or if he was a boxer, he's going he's gonna to draw back, and then he's just going to unload. And when he unloads, it's just going to be one after another, just this rapid-fire explosion of the heart. And these truths are incredible. What, what's awesome about the way he, he writes this letter is really these first 14 verses primarily are about things that have been done that we benefit from. So a lot of times I know we like to do stuff. What do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do to be a follower of Jesus. And that will definitely be in this letter. But right now at the outset, he wants us to get our minds and our hearts settled around what Christ has done. What God has done through his son and the, just all the benefits of that reality. And so in many ways, if if you like seafood, which I, I love seafood, this is like a seafood buffet that he's just going to have choice food after another. And I know some of you hate seafood. So this is like a cookie table at a wedding. So there's just lots and lots of choices. One good thing after another, after another, after another. And so we're going to just kind of look at them, sample them, let them have their effect on us. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Praise be to God. Worship God, the Father, who has blessed us. So God is worthy of all praise. And, and one of the reasons is because he is just filled with blessing to all of his children who has blessed us in Christ. Christ is the title, is Jesus' title. It's the Old Testament um, title for the Messiah. Jesus is the promised deliverer from the Old Testament, the one that God had always planned to come and rescue his people. He has blessed us in Christ. One of the things you're going to see throughout this very long sentence is the phrase in Christ or in his grace, this union. So when we come to Jesus and we trust in him, it's not that we just assent to a few facts. No, we are united with him. We are made one with him. And this unbreakable union happens. And we are bound to the Lord, and the Lord is bound to us. And so if you are in Christ, these benefits are yours. Who has blessed us in Christ with what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are we blessed with? Every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly places. And, and what's going to happen after this verse is we're going to start to, to see line by line what are some of those spiritual blessings. A phrase that theologians use for this section of the Bible um, that we don't often use, but I think it's helpful, is a, they, they say Ephesians is like a, a realized eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things. Realized means it's, it's actually happening. So heaven in this section comes into our present day life. So what has happened in eternity and what will happen has now broken in to our lives. So we get a, a taste of this reality. And so the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were united with Christ and consequently, you have every spiritual blessing that he has for you, given to you. And that, that is an amazing, that is a wonderful thing. So, I mean, think about this just, uh, think about your, your own personal finances. So maybe, maybe, um, maybe you don't have much. Maybe your, your account is, is pretty empty. Maybe you're, you're, you're just, there's just not a lot there. And then if you, you count up all the assets that you have, Still not doing so great. But spiritually, if you are in Christ, you are loaded. I mean, you couldn't put the number of zeros, whatever the biggest number is. I know some of you in this room might know what that is. Whatever that number is, we're, we're richer than that in Christ. We really are. And that happened the moment you trusted in Christ. So whatever you're your spiritual bank account said prior, it was in the negative, it was in the hole, you deserved wrath. And then all of a sudden, it went in the positive. And it went in the positive so much that it had this endless number of zeros, which is your spiritual richness that Christ has purchased for you. That should be an encouragement to you. Now this incredible reality, this spiritual richness, you experienced the moment you trusted in Jesus. But what we learn in this passage is it had a history long before you came into this world. And that's what um, the Apostle Paul gets into in verses 4, 5, and 6. 
So his grace didn't begin the moment you trusted in Jesus. Listen to when it began. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God's grace goes back so far, it goes back before the world ever existed. God's grace to you goes back that far. That we should be holy and blameless before him. See, we get that first hint of transforming grace. So this grace existed in eternity past. We respond in the moment when we trust in Christ. Part of that transforming grace will will make us blameless positionally before the Lord. Immediately we are justified. But then it gives us power to change and to grow. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So in eternity past, God predestined us to be part of the family. Out of his love, out of his grace, out of his mercy. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The Apostle Paul now explodes again to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the Apostle Paul, he's, he's pulling back the curtain and he, he wants us to see that this grace that we are experiencing today started way, 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 way long ago in eternity past. See, in this section we learn God chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He chose you before the foundation of the world. His motivation for that was his love. In his love, he chose to save you, to rescue you. See, and some of your minds might be turning now. The the reality of this teaching in Ephesians 1, this idea of God's choosing, God's election, God's predestining, Um, men and women for salvation is not intended to to just send us into this philosophical free-for-all that we just get confused and that happens and I understand that happens and and when that happens we want to help you sort through that but the intended effect should be though we don't quite comprehend how this is even possible Lord you loved us so much That even before the foundation of the world, even before the fall of man, you had a plan to rescue people through your son and we were included in that plan. And the the intended effect should be worship, should be praise, should be this, this unshakable confidence in God's love for you. That he truly, deeply loves you. He loves you so much more than you could ever think or imagine. And we're going to see more of how incredible that love is throughout his letter. Uh, To get our minds around this idea that God chose us in his love, I want to share a couple other things before we continue in the passage. The one is a hymn from the 1800s. If If you know your hymns, you might know this one, is I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. Um. There's a lot of debate of who, who wrote this hymn, so we're going to go with Anonymous. That's one of the options I saw. And let me just read um, four lines from it. 
And this is to help us get, a, get a, our minds around this idea of God's choosing, electing love towards us. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that, I, that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of Thee. So in other words, the, the author's writing it. I sought the Lord. I cried out. I turned from my sins. I trusted in Jesus. That's a real thing. That if you're in Christ, that's how you got in. But then he says, and afterward I knew. I knew as I looked around, as I thought about it, I saw the hand of God that it wasn't my soul seeking him, but he was seeking me, which is why I responded. And it was the Savior who came looking for us, came looking for you. And so in a moment in time, you responded. Another very helpful illustration for me in understanding God's choosing love, God's electing love, has come from an illustration that a pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, would often share on this subject. He was a pastor from 18, or he was alive from 1895 to 1960. He was a pastor in Philadelphia. So I'm going to quote um, something from Philip Graham Ryken's book, The Message of Salvation, which is actually quoted in an article by Justin Taylor from the Gospel Coalition. So I think I got all my sources cited properly. Um, this is what he writes. The famous American Bible teacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, often used an illustration to help people make sense of election. So I need you to use your imagination as I read this illustration. He asked them to imagine a cross like the one on which Jesus died, only so large that he had a door in it. So picture on the stage right now a giant wooden cross that's so big it might poke through the ceiling, but it's so wide it has a door on it. So you got, you got a big wooden cross, it has a door on it. Everybody with me so far? The illustration. Big wooden cross has a door on it. So imagine that. And on the, the cross, when you look up above the door, over the door, the door were these words whoev- from the book of Revelation. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. In other words, everyone is invited in. Everyone is welcome to come to God through the cross, through what Jesus has done on the cross. Whosoever will may come. The invitation is broad and wide. These words represent, he says, the free and universal offer of the gospel. By God's grace, the message of salvation is for everyone. Every man, woman, and child who will come to the cross is invited to believe in Jesus Christ and enter eternal life. That's the offer that God offers in His Son. If you're not a Christian yet, that is the offer to you. The Bible also says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast away. It's a broad invitation, but you come through a narrow door, which is the cross of Jesus. So then he continues the illustration. So you walk through you put your faith in Jesus. You repented of your sins. It says, on the other side of the door, a happy surprise awaits the one 
who believes and enters. So here is the door you walk through. You're looking at the other side. And there is a happy surprise on the other side. What's the happy surprise? From the inside, anyone glancing back can see these words from Ephesians written above the door. Here's the happy surprise. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So all are invited. You come through that door. You find out this happy surprise on the other side. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God's love in a very specific way was given to you. Then he writes, election is best understood in hindsight. For it is only after coming to Christ that one can know whether one has been chosen in Christ. Those who make a decision for Christ find that God made a decision for them in eternity past. See, this is a mystery. But it's intended to encourage you that God's love, God's grace, God's mercy was way more at work than you ever thought or imagined. I mean, have you ever thought, like, whether it's in your family or in your friend group or at your school, that when you became a Christian, I know this is the case for me, there were many around me that did not become Christians at, at that moment. There were, there were many. There were many that I knew. I responded. Some did not. Many did. But, but what's the difference? The difference is God's grace somehow from eternity past was drawing and working and choosing and electing. All undeserved. All unwarranted. And I, and I realize this can, can be hard to grapple with. Let me give you a scripture to wrestle through with as you're thinking about this. May this encourage you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling. This is your calling to salvation. Brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, if we get our minds around this incredible grace that we have received, There is no room for boasting. No, we we responded at a time. You sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. I began to read my Bible before I was a Christian as the Lord was drawing me. But behind all of that was a God from eternity past chose us in Him for His glory, for His grace. So not only are we recipients of unfathomable grace, but we are the recipients of countless riches purchased by the exalted Christ. Look at verse 7 and following. We are the recipients of countless riches purchased by the exalted Christ. 
I said at the outset, the exalted Christ is a strong theme in Ephesians. That sometimes I think we, we, just, we just don't think about when we read Jesus' name in the Bible. But Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried. The third day he rose from the grave, he ascended, and now he is exalted. He is the reigning and ruling king. That's who you pray to. That's who you call out to. The ruling and reigning, exalted king who is fully God and fully man and one day will return for his people. Look at verses 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have been purchased. We have been bought. And part of that payment purchased our freedom. Not only did it cancel our debt, which it did, but it purchased our freedom from slavery, from the slavery of sin. That we now have a new life because of the redemption that Jesus paid for by his own blood. Part of that redemption resulted in the forgiveness of all our trespasses. So, if you live in the country, um, you might have this on your property. You'll definitely, your neighbor will if you don't. But there are no trespassing signs often and everywhere, um, at least in where we, we live. And um, the idea is you can't, you can't cross over. Well, God has no trespassing. He has, he has commandments like don't do these things. Don't break these things. And when you break them, you have sinned. You have committed a sin against a holy God. And so by my age, the age 46, I've, I've trespassed a lot. And there's a psalm that, that says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you, O Lord, had a book of every attitude, every thought, every deed, every action. Imagine everything you've ever done that was outside of God's bounds, outside of God's commandment. Every trespass. And he's there as the judge, just writing them down, looking, waiting, watching. Who could stand? The, the, the answer is no one can stand except Jesus. He's the only one who can stand before a perfect judge. Innocent, because in thought, word, deed, action, he's, he's kept the law perfectly. That's why he's the only one who can free us. He's the only one that can redeem us. And see, if you have rejected Jesus and you do not trust in Jesus, oh, you, there will come a day where you have to stand before a holy God and answer for every wrong, every time you broke his commands. And the Bible says that his wrath will be poured out. The Bible calls that hell, that there will be an eternity of punishment. 
but you don't have to stay there. That's the good news. That's why the Apostle Paul's heart is exploding with praise because he personally experienced this debt just washed away and, and full redemption being given to him. It's an incredible, incredible reality. And I love that it says in verse 8, um, verse and verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God lavished grace. He emptied out his pockets. He emptied out everything he had. He emptied out his son so that you could receive grace and mercy, forgiveness and freedom. See, one of the ways we grow as Christians isn't just by obedience. That's definitely part of it. God's Spirit makes us new. We get to change. We get to turn from things. We get to kill old desires and put on new desires. But part of growing in our faith is just comprehending how much God loves you. Resting in how much God loves you. How amazing His grace is. How lavish, generous He has been to you. Verses 9 and 10 by, by many are thought to be kind of the, the, let's say, the purpose statement of the entire letter of Ephesians where um, the Apostle Paul's tying several things together where he says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. So mystery in this sense is something that was promised but unknown and now has been revealed. So Jesus is the center of that mystery according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. This is where the past, present, and future all come together in Christ. See, through Jesus, we have reconciliation that's only made possible through Jesus. We're going to skip down to, to verse 11, Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, among the, the first who respond to the gospel, might be to the praise of his glory. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We have it now. If you are in Jesus, you have this incredible inheritance. And unlike some of our messy families, it's an inheritance that can't, can't be taken away because of a family dispute, because of somebody doing an end around and, and taking things that they shouldn't be taking. This is an inheritance that is yours, that you can look forward to, that is 100% guaranteed and certain for you. So your future is glorious. Your future is unimaginably glorious. What awaits the people of God after we die is glorious. It's incredible. And you might be thinking, well, how do you know that my inheritance is guaranteed? How do you really know that? How can you say that with such confidence? Well, look at verse 13 and 14. Here's how we can say that. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when you heard the word of truth, when you responded to what Jesus had done for you, and you believed and you trusted wholeheartedly in what Jesus had done in your place. When that happened, God's Holy Spirit came inside of you. and You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not leaving you. Once He comes inside of you, He's staying. You became the dwelling place of God. And that is the guarantee that you will be rich spiritually. You will have this incredible inheritance with all the people of God. So you can have confidence in that. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that promised Holy Spirit changes us. It gives us power. It gives us new desires. It gives us faith and joy and peace, kindness, gentleness. It produces life in us where there was only death. Look at verse 14. So you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. There will be a day when you acquire possession of it. But until that day, the guarantee is in you already by the Holy Spirit. And the intended effect of all of this that Paul has written is that we would praise Him and worship Him and do what, how, how Jason began worship this morning, that we would be living sacrifices, fully sold out to Jesus because of the love that we have received. So if we could all stand, I'm going to pray, and if the band could come up. Father, we thank you for your plan. Thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your ways that are not our ways. We thank you for the height, breadth, depth, and width of your love that is displayed in Jesus. Lord, we pray that, I pray every believer who is either watching or in the room this morning would would just know without a shadow of a doubt how much you love them, that it would be tangible, that they would be able to taste and see it and experience your love. And Lord, I pray it would affect us. It would affect us in how we love one another and, and how we live for you, how we use our gifts, talents, and resources for your glory. Lord, as we, we prepare to sing this song, Lord, fill our hearts with worship and praise in response to who you are and how lavish you have been towards us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's lift our voices to From heaven's throne you came to us and set your heart upon the cross we'll never know the sacrifice you made 
our sin and all our shame. You took the nails and took our place. No one else could do what you have done. One name is higher. One name is stronger. Christ exalted over all. From the grave where death would die, you rose again and brought us life. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. One name is higher. One name is stronger. Any grave, any throne, Christ exalted over all. The only Savior, Jesus Messiah, to you alone, praise belongs, Christ exalted over all. Sing your praise, sing your praise, sing your praise forever, and lift your name, lift your name. Jesus over all, we'll sing your praise, sing your praise, sing your praise forever, lift your name, lift your name, Jesus over all, one name is higher, one name is stronger. Exalted over all, the only Savior, Jesus Messiah. To you alone, praise belongs. Christ exalted over all. To you alone, praise belongs. Christ exalted over all. Sing your praise, sing your praise, we sing your praise forever, and lift your name, we lift your name, Jesus over all. We'll sing your praise, sing your praise, we sing your praise forever. Lift your name, we lift your name, Jesus over all. Oh, what a 
great reminder, thank you, Joe, of how much we're blessed and how much God has poured out his grace to the saints at Indiana, right? We're saints, sinners no more. Even when we sin, he's forgiven us. So my prayer today is that you just, God would pour out his blessing even more than he already has and that you would be so much more aware of it today as you go your way today and celebrate uh, the holiday weekend. So thank you for joining us this morning, either here in person or online. We're so glad you're with us. So uh, thank you, and let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. Thank you that as we sang, you are holy, and you poured out your grace, and you poured out your blessing on us sinners. who apart from that grace would be helpless before you, Father. What a wonderful God you are. What a mighty God you are. I pray that you might save someone today so they could experience that for the first time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we'll be dismissed. The prayer team will be up here. If you need prayer for anything, please come and we'll pray with you. Have a great day. Sing your praise, sing your praise, sing your praise forever. Lift your name, lift your name, Jesus over all. Sing your praise, sing your praise, sing your praise forever. Lift your name. Lift your name, Jesus, over all. One name is higher. One name is stronger. Any grave, any throne, Christ exalted over all. The only Savior. Jesus Messiah, to you alone, praise belongs, Christ exalted over all. To you alone, praise belongs, Christ exalted over all.